0: One can simultaneously build a growing company and record a bootleg yoga video in their underwear, but it turns out those two things do not go together well.
1: What is up you beautiful bastards? It's your boy Oatmeal, AKA Rabbi Can't Lose, AKA Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Andrew Mason, the founder of Groupon. I have wanted to talk to Andrew for years, especially since we run Appsuma.com which has been called the Groupon of software. We discussed so many things, including his new company, Descript.com, which is taking over the podcast world with really impressive transcription and a new feature called Overdub. Wildly, Andrew actually emailed me right before Groupon took off asking for help. I totally brushed it off and I forgot about it until this conversation. It's a great example of how to be careful of how you treat people and something we'll talk about in this episode. There's that and insane amount of other ear nuggets you're going to enjoy. Here's three major ones. Number one, Andrew's opinion on Groupon going public and keeping your company's core while you scale. Number two, how and when to pivot? Do you keep doing something that might be working or try to move into something brand new? And number three, where to get your self-worth? Andrew was kicked out of his own company after they went public, and this was major news. How the heck did he deal with his self-worth after that? You're going to enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more magic along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, go check out Descript.com for your transcription needs. It's Andrew's company, I use it, I like it a lot, and it's free, so go check it out for all of your audio needs, Descript.com. You can use it for voice memos and all this other cool audio stuff. Also, a special pre-show shout out listener to Chachi Coop. What's up, my boy from USA? He left a review saying, leave Netflix for a few hours and listen to Noah. I thought that was a really good one. Thanks for your feedback, homie. If you want to shout out in a future episode, just go on iTunes. Even if you don't have iTunes, go on it. Leave a review. I check every single one and I'll call you out in a future episode. I want to talk a little bit about the group on stuff just because it's relevant. Yeah. I'm sure you're like
0: tired of that sometimes or I'm assuming. I don't mind. I just, I feel like I've forgotten most of it. The only time I think about it is when I do these interviews and I get asked questions. So I'm always a little embarrassed that I'm not as like uh, fingertippy and pithy as, as I wish I could be. How could you forget it? It was such like it took over the world for uh, for a period of time. I'm just doing other stuff, you know, onward, as they say. It's kind of like a sociopathic quality where I don't spend a lot of time thinking about things in the past. It protects me against all the, you know, evils that I commit.
1: That's actually one of the questions I was really fascinated with is like, how did you mentally work through things afterwards?
0: Basically, I got fired in like February of 2013 and basically from... The moment that Groupon launched in the end of 2008 until that day, it was like a nonstop longest single day ever, basically, (laughs) like just a crazy rocket ship to hold on to. And then all of a sudden there was nothing like I was just sitting on my couch at home and in a completely different life situation than I was the last time I was at a kind of moment where I could be introspective and contemplative about one's life position. And it was like, wow, I never need to get off this couch again. I could just sit here and order pizza and there's no reason that I have to do anything. It's like playing video games with the cheat codes turned on where it's like cool for a minute and then you just realize the pointlessness of everything. So I started another company to distract myself from the inevitability of death. Okay, I love it. (laughs) I mean, did you order a lot of pizza and sit on your ass for a long time? Before that? Not really. Like I was pretty anxious to get going and do something again. And I recorded an album just for fun and of motivational business music. And then I moved on to starting another company.
1: Yeah. Detour. Were you nervous coming out of doing another company from the expectation for this guy did this thing and it kills it? I hate the word kills it, but does so well. And then people were like, Oh, the next thing better be just as great, if not better.
0: I don't think I was. I've always had a Attitude with this stuff of gratitude for having the opportunity to do anything. The thing that just makes me want to punch people in the face is when they say that they don't believe in luck. And I feel like anybody who is working in tech in this time is so unbelievably lucky to be just witness to this moment and participate in it in some way. The fact that I got to do what I got to do on such a scale. I really just always felt very grateful for that opportunity and that gratitude has shielded me from what other people might have perceived as a would have been kind of crushing disappointment or grief at the way that it ended or kind of expectations of uh, what I'd be doing next. I care what people think but not enough to do anything about it, if that makes sense. Right. So I just, it's another thing I just haven't spent that much time thinking about is what someone might expect of me. I guess for me, I feel like
1: I would be an addict in the sense of you launched this thing. You tried other things. I've read a lot about you and we actually, I don't know if you ever heard of our company called AppSumo.
0: Yeah. You heard of us? Yeah, sure. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. You know, I actually feel like I might've even reached out to you back when I was doing the point about something. I don't remember the details, but I've known your name for a long time. Oh, I thought you emailed me to make fun of us. No, I'm joking. (laughs) 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 I think
1: the thing I found fascinating is that for me is I think I would be so addicted to the hyper growth. And I I do want to come back a little bit on the Groupon part, but when you launch Detour and now that you've been working on Descript.com, which it's fucking unreal. And we'll definitely, I want to dig into that. I saw the overdub thing today. I was actually most impressed almost that you wrote the ethics thing. I think that was actually almost the oh. most blowing part of it, not and beyond the technology of it. But how did you not like get addicted? You launched Detour and you didn't get a million people and a million revenue in the first month. And, you know, kind of with Descript, it's doing well. They're both doing, you know, both doing well, but, you know, to that level of like hyper growth.
0: That is fun. It's true that it's really, really fun. And that hyper growth, once you're part of that, it doesn't even matter what it is that you're working on because the thrill of having such a popular, Thing that it is that you've built and so many people liking it is quite satisfying. But I also just find it really satisfying to make things. And that's what we did at Detour. You know, we were hoping it would be a really big thing. It was built with that idea in mind. It didn't work out. But I think the whole team that worked on that is incredibly proud of this little perfectly crafted product that we built. And sometimes they explode and sometimes they don't. And that's been really satisfying with Descript as well, which is really uh, the purest product company that I've ever worked on. Groupon was very human intensive. Lots of people inside the company, merchants that you're dealing with out in the real world. And then Detour didn't have as many people involved, but this experience was real world and, and interacting with people. And Descript is just, you know, an app that people sit in front of their computers and use for eight hours a day. <laughs> and it's, it's just like a pure product. And it's really cool to work on just a tool. I love tools myself. Like I'm a total junkie for, I feel like we're at a golden age of these SaaS tools and I love using them and it's really fun to build them.
1: With the group, And i just want to dive a little bit into it. And I've, I worked at Facebook when I was doing hyper growth and then I did Facebook apps later did hyper growth. And then, so I felt just like a taste of it. You know, what are some moments that come to mind that were just like unbelievable? Because I think a lot of people are creating businesses like you and, and me and they're like, do I have product market fit? But you have like the next level of it. I'm curious some moments or things that like that come to mind
0: when you're like, this is just insane. There are many moments where the writing is on the wall about where the company is going. Like all of the metrics are showing that this thing can only end one way or or go in one direction. Yet you still can't quite believe that it's happening. I remember at one point getting to the point that we were maybe 30 or 40 people and in the office of one of our investors who were like, you're going to have 100 people in here in six months. And I just remember feeling like, you know, this cognitive dissonance working for me. How do you do that? Just like seeing that this stuff was inevitably going to happen, but having no idea how it could happen. It's I guess that's the first story that comes to mind. I'm sure there are many more. Any others you think of, you know, the revenue stuff the hiring,
1: it blows my mind what it must have been like.
0: There are a couple times where we would run deals where uh they just completely exploded in numbers that none of us ever would have fathomed. I remember like in the first couple months of launching Groupon, we were it was a pivot and it was a kind of back against the wall, you're running out of money, investors want to see some traction here, pivot, and this idea like seemed to be taking on and doing something and I went to Chicago Tribune to try to sell them on turning it into kind of a a co-venture. And and I brought, you know, projections that showed how by the time we get to 20 cities, you know, in four years or something, we'd be doing three million dollars in revenue or something. You know, something that was just where we were doing that a couple months later or something like that. And I remember like running deals like a Chicago architecture cruise where, you know, we might See a thousand or a couple thousand. I'm sure I'm messing up all these details, but on an average day, we might sell a couple thousand Groupons for a business, and then all of a sudden, we'd sell 20,000. And like very quickly, it went from being like, wow, this is great to holy cow, how do we handle this demand? How do we handle the influx of customers that are going to be coming to these businesses and making sure everyone has a good experience? So you end up dealing with the problem of controlling your success and not letting it get too far ahead of you. What deal do you remember being the biggest? Was the Starbucks deal? I remember that one. That was like, we all went apeshit in our office buying it. That was a big deal. I think we actually subsidized that or there was something like that. It was kind of a branding thing. So that doesn't stand out to me as something that was really special only because it was like, uh, it wasn't as organic as some of the the things that we would we would normally do. And it's Starbucks, you know. It's I mean, <laughs> the stuff that always, was always exciting about Groupon was when you could run a sensory deprivation tank deal and get them 2000 customers or give people access and uh, impetus to partake in some experience that they'd never otherwise think of. When I think back on the things that give me satisfaction, it's things like, you know, running a deal in Chicago for a bus that'll take you down to the tour, Michael Jackson's childhood sites in Gary, Indiana. which is like the last place anyone would ever want to go on a on a bus tour. But, um, you know, it's pretty cool. People did it. Sorry, Gary. (laughs) Our Gary listenership is
1: one of our major (laughs) metropolitan cities. You know, one thing that I, I think you've experienced to like an extreme degree is how did you know to change or keep going? I think that's something that a lot of people starting businesses struggle with, including myself, where, all right, I need to keep persevering versus all right, let's try something else new. How would you you know, advise yourself now that you've had all these experiences through that and you guys did that with Groupon?
0: I don't know that I actually have the answer, even though I've, I've done that a couple of times, I guess, somewhat successfully, other than like not falling too much in love with any particular outcome or like vision for what the thing is going to be. But it's tricky because you need to do that to some degree in order to persevere and be resilient through the inevitable setbacks you're going to experience. So... With Detour, we just went until we had tried everything we could try, but we built Descript inside of Detour and we're incubating that idea. And we knew from pretty much the moment we started working on it, that it was something that we were going to have in our back pocket for a rainy day if we needed to. And so I think we always tried to have visualize a plan B, a here's your theory on what's going to work, but let's familiarize ourselves with a different path. And having choices makes it easier to follow those choices, right, and get yourself out of a bad situation to convince yourself that there are other good paths to go down. It was the same thing with The Point when it was pivoting into into Groupon is the Point was this abstract platform that could be, become Kickstarter, or it could become an activism site, or it could become a group buying site. And we had all these different ideas in mind. And we were able to just experiment and try things. And then we found one that worked and we, we rolled with it. One thing that's always blown my mind that I
1: think people forget, especially about Groupon, is that it's still almost worth $2 billion. To me, I find it funny that we're in a society where we're like, yeah, you know, uh, a business like Groupon. I'm like, Groupon's a $2 billion business. I'll take that any day. <laughs> and so I always think it's impressive that you invented a category of sorts. And then, you know, it's still sustaining around. One thing that we're struggling with, and I'm curious how, you know, you've learned from it. Is that you had, you had the Andrew essence, right? And in, in the culture of your team, not just you, but which is like goofy and you guys were quirky. And that changes over time as, as you have quote unquote adult supervision. The investors want something or your customers now don't like you using, uh, swear words. And so that's something I'm trying to figure out. And I love your advice is like, how do you balance growth with also being true to yourself? you know, something that you've gone through. And now when I go to Groupon, it's like the copy is pretty it's pretty standard. But when you guys came out, it was, it was hysterical. And it, it absolutely kind of, I don't know if we copied you, but we have our own where like we have sumos and we kidnap people and we eat a bunch of tacos all day and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, I look at Groupon now and any like, you know, remote piece of personality has been surgically stripped out of it. Like, first of all, Groupon was a company that just lended itself to, to weirdness. We were inspired by Woot. When we were The Point, we were um, trying to build a social activism platform. And then when we launched Groupon as this little side project, and one day we woke up and we were like, Jesus, is this really what we're going to be spending our time building, this coupon site? Well, if we're going to do this, we have to do it in a way that's going to make us not want to kill ourselves. So let's have some fun with it. And when we saw Woot, that guy kind of gave us permission and uh, inspiration for how we could do it in our own way. And there was this obvious thing to rebel against, which is advertising and marketing. And and we could just do advertising and marketing in a way that that we wanted to read it in a way that felt uh, a little bit more truthful. And, and we thought we could build a relationship with customers and an affinity with our audience through doing something like that. And it worked. And um, that was just a open door for people in the company and myself maybe foremost among them to be their their own weird you know individual selves and if you would ask me when at that point before we filed to go public i think i would have said like yeah you just if you're just yourself you know everybody will everybody will recognize that and it'll all be okay and then we filed to go public and we went in the quiet period and this came up recently just in conversation somebody brought it up i uh I had this video that I'd put on my uh, YouTube, like when I was um, before I started Groupon, where it was like me doing a bootleg yoga routine in my <laughs> underwear in front of my Christmas tree <laughs> when I was like 25. And uh, I just thought it would be cool to like. I had a, an actual yoga DVD playing off screen, and I was just doing all the moves. I'm not good at yoga, and I'm kind of schlubby, but uh, I was trying to do all the moves. And then later I recorded a voiceover, and then I uploaded like the 60-minute instructional tape that I just like, I like the idea of people doing yoga to me. And, uh, and then anyway, so somebody like dug that up when we were in our quiet period and posted it. And I remember someone telling me like, Andrew, somebody just posted your yoga video on Gawker. And I remember thinking, great. <laughs> that's, um, that's a re- I thought that was a funny video. Like, this is great. And to me, it was like, well, you know, I've, I've built this company that's doing billions in, in bookings, and it's growing like crazy. And obviously, people will see that one can simultaneously build a growing company and record a bootleg yoga video in their underwear. <laughs> but it turns out those two things do not go together well. And the press and whoever else were all like, no, I'm sorry. There's no way. Like That is a clear sign. And they were probably right. Uh, so <laughs> the company I'm doing now and detour when I did that, I don't think they, they don't have as much space for that kind of, uh, the, it's their tools, right? And, and you just want to mostly get out of the way. I need to think about it more. You would think I would have thought about it more, but all I can do is share my experience and I don't really know what the solution is. Sorry. no yeah, Don't I appreciate you sharing your
1: story. I did just quickly dig up your email. You did email me in 2008. And so you made me start reflecting on, wow, I should not be mean to people. I didn't brush you off, but you said, hey, my name is Andrew Mason. I'm the founder of a startup called The Point and an early mint adopter. We use the same PR agency. I really enjoyed your article on building a wait list. Could you spare a few minutes for me to pick your brain? There are a couple of things we're considering trying. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much, Andrew, and your phone number from The Point. And I just, I wrote, I'm a bit busy lately, but if you have a specific question, I'm glad to answer them on my blog with everyone else. (laughs) 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 thanks for reaching out you know what i would say is actually really interesting i met tim ferris before he got real big i've emailed with you the guys from buffer the guys from product hunt there's definitely something there where i don't think i was mean to you but i definitely probably could have been a little bit more helpful definitely interesting to think about who of them is actually going to go on to do interesting things so just be nice to everyone or be as nice as you can
0: be I don't know, man. It's hard. I remembered something like that. I, I, right. I remembered reaching out to you and I remembered like, but actually like hearing that now I'm like, and having been in the position of being a recipient of a lot of emails like that, I appreciate that you even did what you did and responded. Like, I remember, um, I had an idea. It might've been the point or it might've been another idea I had before the point when I was in grad school. And I reached out to Jimmy Wales and he wrote back to me, like he wrote a long email back to me. And it was so meaningful. It was so impactful that he did that. And I remember thinking about that every time somebody like that writes me an email and just being like, I'm such a shitheel for not being Jimmy Wales right now and just ignoring this because it was so meaningful for me. And, you know, like uh, Scott Heiferman, who runs Meetup, when we were the point and we were nothing at all, he saw that company and he said, this is such a cool idea. And he flew me to or he invited me to New York to present it at a New York meetup. And and it was such a important moment for us. And uh, I hate talking about business so much when people want to talk to me about business. I just like couldn't be more bored <laughs> and I wish it wasn't the case, but I just really just hate talking about startups and technology. And I don't know how to do with that because I, I do feel like I have a responsibility to get over it and uh, and be useful.
1: Yes and no. I mean, you should do whatever you want. I guess it's interesting that as much as you hate it, that's also your life. Like you've chose to go back into the pool or the ocean of living in SF and working on a, you know, a funded tech company. Yeah,
0: but there's something, I guess there's something that uh that's hard about boiling things down to lessons. I, I don't know. I've just never felt quite in my skin when it comes to taking everything about these experiences that we have and distilling them into something that's universally applicable. So maybe that's what it is. And i was just thinking th- through that
1: specifically, because for me, I moved out of SF because I was tired of talking about startups all day. Like, I don't want to hear about funding. I don't care about like anything going on with your startup. So I moved to Austin a while ago, just, mm-hmm. out, you know, even though I grew up in the Bay, I would assume similar to me. We love this stuff, though, too. Like, I love seeing the script. I love seeing the overdub thing we're, we're going to talk about. So it's a little bit of a balance because out, you know, out here, you know, I do miss being around people creating crazy shit. I think what maybe it sounds like from you is like you're just tired of being like, or not tired, you just don't spend as much time being like, well, what's life lesson I can share with other people about it? Do you more just thinking about the next thing or just thinking about what's going on
0: in the, the current projects? Maybe it's just like, you know, I just don't want to talk about a lot of people write write to me about their like coupon companies and stuff like that. (laughs) And that's the thing that I that that I have a hard time. I think people think that like I I left Groupon because a lot of entrepreneurs do this. They're like they stick in the same space for a while. I think people think that like I left Groupon and I just sat around thinking about coupons like nonstop since then. But it's not the case. I've not thought about coupons for more than two seconds outside of when somebody's asking me about coupons. Okay, but most important question, probably this whole conversation is, do you like a good deal?
1: <laughs> I helped start AppSumo with the team, and, and we've been running almost 10 years. And I, I start reflecting, like, dude, I'd love a good deal. Like, I can't help myself. <laughs> and if it's not a good value, it's really hard for me to, to do things. Yeah, I'd love a good deal. But you know, one thing I would actually reflect on, I'm, I'm sure you're noticing this as you went from, Groupon was a little bit more of a marketing business. And then you went to Detour, which is an app business. And then I would say Descript is a software SaaS podcast business. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but for myself, I have really enjoyed changing verticals and something I've been thinking about recently. Yeah. Like the people you meet, the marketing, the problems, the developers, the customers. And I'm just like, oh, I really like right lately, we've been doing a lot of e-commerce a little bit more on, and podcasters and some of our products at Sumo. And it's just so interesting yeah. to learn new things around uh, different verticals.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, now that I think about it, by the way, I should say like a lot of things that I say, they're like thoughts that I've never thought before. And I now realize that I don't hate talking about business. But maybe there's something there. But that general truth is not true. Because I actually find this very interesting, too. Like, I've really gained an appreciation for how not all businesses are created equal and the way that they tend to be perceived in the, you know, the broader culture. The mechanics of businesses matter so much, and they're so different. The mechanics of Groupon versus Detour and Descript just couldn't be more different. And some businesses are way easier than others. Have you had that experience? My friend Brian, yes, I have. And he always uses the analogy, there's some
1: businesses where you're pushing the ball up the hill, and there's some businesses where you're pushing the ball down the hill. And I've definitely noticed that where there's some things I'm like, this is just working. I'm not having to do much effort and people want it. And there's other ones where I am begging. I'm like, please take these services. And that's tough because we all, obviously we all want the ball to go down the hill, but it's not always the case. I'm just like learning the new verticals. Like lately, we've been doing Shopify stuff and similar to you, we've been doing a lot more podcast stuff and working those verticals. I think part of it is almost just meeting the different people in these worlds, like all the people I met at the Facebook social network app world uh, and so forth. You know, I think in companies, we know the truth. You probably know the truth of things that are going on at Groupon at the time. As things were happening, and starting to shift. Did you know like, hey, some of the fundamentals of our business aren't working, but did you guys try to change it? Because let me clarify. You know how Friendster was fucked up and everyone on the outside was like, oh, just make it faster, make it faster. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. on the inside, though, if you talk to Jonathan and those guys, they're like, yo, we just had a bunch of, bunch of problems. It wasn't able, We weren't able to do it. I wonder, you know, as Groupon, like as people weren't going back to the stores and, and different challenges, did you guys have a bunch of solutions of like create your own restaurants or create your own other you know online things. I guess I was curious like what you would do to kind of keep it growing and or you know get it back to
0: a larger size when you were there. For us I think the product at the beginning was a deal a day and the value proposition was it was all about discovery. Here's this incredible restaurant or experience that maybe you wouldn't otherwise try, but if you're ever going to try this, today's the day. Because you're going to get fifty percent off, it was this breath of fresh air in your inbox every morning, and there was a novelty component to it, and it felt rare right and and everybody copied us like there were literally two thousand groupon clones, which I think to like you know pr- you have to count to two thousand just to take a second and appreciate how crazy that is and when that happened, that took away the scarcity that we had carefully baked into the mechanics of the product so there was no longer a deal a day. There were 30 deals a day in wherever your city were. They were just dispersed across a bunch of different platforms. We had to evolve the business to reflect that. And that's what started to move us into this marketplace model. And ultimately, what Groupon was aspiring to do was become an operating system for local commerce that included the verticals that have since gone on to be quite entrenched, like payments and loyalty and delivery and all of these things, right? That's what we saw ourselves as doing. The problem was we went public before we had locked in that second S curve. I don't know if that's something that people actually say, or that's just some (laughs) bullshit business speak that is that something, do you know what I mean? I don't think normal people talk. I think in the Bay Area, you love, you got, not you guys, but there is S curve talk. People talk of the S curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to unpack that like the s curve of, of like a uh, original groupon is the idea you like you start out on the bottom and you're going slow and then and then you rocket ship but then it starts to asymptote out and what you want to do is kind of layer in a second s curve while the first rocket ship is going so that by this the time it asymptotes out you've got a second one that's carrying you up to the moon And the problem was, like, I think we knew that the daily deal business, especially because it was evolving into this marketplace business that was going to change its mechanics, was going to asymptote out at some point. We didn't know when that was going to happen necessarily. And we were working on these other verticals, but then we went public. And our IPO was such a clusterfuck that it created this doom loop for us where we were spending more than half of our time on stuff that had nothing to do with building a great company or building a great product and everything to do with managing the fact that we were public and we couldn't get out of it because of that so i think the first thing i would have done differently is just go public later i don't know if that would have changed the outcome but it would have been a a good decision i think
1: what was the coolest thing about all the attention Did you get to meet like the Dalai Lama?
0: No, I didn't get to meet the Dalai Lama. (laughs) There were times when I felt like I got invited to the ball at the palace and I was just going to get to, you know, piss and shit and all the planters (laughs) before a guard (laughs) threw me out. That was kind of like how the whole thing felt. I visited Bill Gates house as an intern. That was
1: like my dream in life to work at Microsoft. And as an intern, you get to go to his house. And I think the most memorable thing for me was just like using his toilet. I'm like, dude, I am peeing in Bill (laughs) Gates' toilet. And I remember using the toilet paper. I was like, I don't even need to use this toilet paper, but it's Bill Gates' toilet paper. And it was really good quality toilet paper. That was the highlight of meeting Bill Gates is his bathroom. It's really great. Nice. It is true, palace bathrooms. So we talked a little bit about the reset, which you said you kind of sounded like you just had some pizza on a couch, moved on. The thing that I did wonder about that, which is what are all the ideas, not Detour and not Descript, which if you're a podcaster or you're doing anything audio, you must
0: go use Descript.com. What were the ideas you passed on and why, besides these two? So there was another idea I played around with a little bit that was kind of like a expert marketplace thing. And a zillion people before and after have tried to tackle this idea. And we spent a couple of weeks playing with that. And I actually remember like during that period meeting Ev Williams for the first time from blogger and medium and Twitter. And and I remember saying to him, man, this is hard. Like building companies is hard, isn't it? Because the nature of this business had a lot of, had like a major human component to it. And I was going door, literally going door to door in San Francisco, trying to recruit merchants into this program because we were a small startup and I had to do that all again. And I was explaining this to him. I was like, this is hard, isn't it? He was like, no, like that sounds hard. My thing isn't hard. I just sit in front of my computer and type things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that was like this moment of like why why am I doing this? What is the point? And I wasn't enjoying the work that I was doing. And uh, and that's when I decided to focus on something that I would enjoy working on instead of just trying to build something that I thought was going to be like because I thought thought it was a huge market.
1: How has money changed how you're looking at your work or your life? For me I feel like you have you just have interesting thoughts about that or the experience has been interesting for you since you know
0: you had you received wealth from what you created. Well, it's a complicated question, or it's a simple question, but a complicated answer. The thing that sneaks up on you, you know, you, everybody likes to think that money isn't going to change you. But then once you get enough money in the bank account, and then you go and you buy a $5 latte or something like that, and all of a sudden, this thing is no longer there that is almost universal to the human condition of that being a kind of, however small, but a trade-off. There's an actual loss when you make a spending decision, not just for buying a cup of coffee, but for buying a, a motorcycle, right? And it's very difficult to maintain an empathetic connection to what that experience is like to hold on to what it was once like to feel that loss. And I think it's something that binds us together as people. And, and it's hard to figure out how to hold on to that, I guess I'd say. That's the thing that surprised me the most and I wasn't expecting. I was expecting like, oh, I'm just not going to buy like Dior or I'm not going to buy like Gucci suits. (laughs) And that by virtue of that, I'll be completely the same. But it's a little bit more it sneaks up on you. Has it changed about what you're working on next? Because you're like, I don't actually have to work. Not so far. Maybe it will in the future. Because I still have this, you know, Protestant work ethic and I have kids and the idea of just not working my ass off terrifies me. That's interesting. You know, I I think we're programmed in a way that that's where we get our sense of self-worth is from the work that we're doing. And I think that's going to increasingly be a problem as it becomes difficult to find types of work for the average person that feel like they're impactful somehow. So hopefully we can evolve the, the nurturing of our children in a way that they will find satisfaction and self-worth from things other than their work, but I'm pretty ruined. I think How are you raised related to that in a perfectly reasonable and, and loving way? There was nothing exceptionally unusual about my parents or my upbringing. It's just the culture that we live in. What are you doing differently with how you're running Descript and what you learned from Groupon? You know, like how, how is that experience for you as a person and as a leader? It's hard to say because it's such a fundamentally different product that a lot of the kind of problems that you had to solve in one company were different than the other. The truth is really boring, which is it's like there's a lot of little things that I've learned through experience to be better at. I think I'm a much better manager than I was not to say that I'm great at any of that now. But just I think about some of the things that I did in the early days of the point and Groupon and I can't think about it for too long or my sense of self worth will plummet. How are you running Descript differently than you ran Groupon? You know, just in all the ways that somebody who's run stuff for a while would run things differently. I always felt like uh, at Groupon, because I was often the least experienced person in the room, that was always part of it. But, you know, now I am i might be the oldest person at the company. I'm certainly one of the oldest people at the company. And I've had a, a wide range of experiences. And that just gives you a different kind of approach or composure than it would otherwise. One thing
1: you said earlier I found really fascinating was that you said you built the script within Detour, but you kind of saved oh, yeah. it for a rainy day. Can you tell me about that?
0: Well, Detour was an audio tour app. The idea was that we were going to build the, a new class of essential experience for people that were traveling, as well as a kind of new kind of interactive magazine for locals. And they were these interactive, experiential audio tours But really, they were just podcasts. The idea was to make it a platform where anyone could make this stuff. But early on, we were making the stuff ourselves so we could dog food it and understand how easy or hard it was. And we just realized what a pain in the butt it was to make any kind of narrative audio content. And we thought, gosh, wouldn't it be cool? There's all this amazing automatic transcription technology out there now. If somebody could use that to build a audio production platform that looked and felt like a word processor so we looked around and found somebody who was working on exactly that kind of thing as part of his phd at uh, at berkeley we hired him and we built a prototype and as soon as, it was, as we had it it was like wow this is a thing in the early days there were a lot of gray areas and question marks about how different kind of features and interaction points would could be grafted from a timeline-based editor into a script-based editor And as we chipped away at those, our confidence level raised. And at some point, we just said, this is the thing. You know, we'd show it to people. And after you do this for a little while, you start to recognize the noises of product market fit. Like a sure sign is when people start telling you that this was actually their idea and they had it 20 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) All right. We have two minutes. I'm going to do two last questions. Okay. So
1: you did mention that you love tools and books. Is there anyone besides the script.com? These are the the gadgets that I'm digging.
0: I'll tell you one that I I just discovered recently and I'm completely in love with is an app called retool. It's retool.com. So I actually, for a while i was a I was a kind of contract developer, and um, I didn't go to computer science school, I went to music school, but I kind of knew how to fake code, and I was a filemaker de- developer for a year or two, and I always felt like somebody needed to come along and figure out how to build a filemaker in the cloud, a kind of low code app building experience. And a bunch of people have tried. And you see things like Airtable or whatever. And it's like, this feels like it's starting to circle around it. But Retool, like they build themselves as a tool for like startups to build their internal admin. It's better than FileMaker because you can connect to all these different APIs that are out there. And it's just like superpowers for a startup or someone that where you want to build internal tools or workflow tools. It falls into this class of things like uh, Zapier and, and other things like that. But I just love that app. Final, final question. If you could make your next music album with any person dead or alive, who are you going to make your album with? I don't know if I should go for like uh, something that's like serious or something that's funny. I don't know if I'd make an album with him, but I'd love to meet uh, Richard uh, Wagner. Richard Va- What kind of music is he? Opera. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm going to go check his stuff out. The thing to see is called The Ring. Yeah, check that out. You can just pull that up. It's about 16 hours done one thing i will say that that definitely stuck with me from the chat and it's it
1: seemed small but it's like i'm gonna be more uh, considerate people email me and be like could be
0: andrew mason i guarantee you that's not gonna <laughs> stick you're gonna do that for three <laughs> days and go right back to being an asshole no no my assistant's assistant will do it though no no i'm joking i'm <laughs> joking
1: the overdump thing hold on by the way can you just tell me how it works because that technology must be insane
0: This technology is built by a company called uh, Lyrebird that Descript just acquired. There are these AI researchers up at the University of Montreal who have built this incredible generative media technology that lets you build a text-to-speech model of your own voice. And when we started talking, we really felt like we were different sides of the same coin. We had built this incredible expressive interface for people to create media And they were this deep technology layer that was going to enable a new class of creative tools. And so what Overdub is one of the first I think people will find practical and useful use cases of the technology that you've seen to create deep fakes, for example. It's a way that you can only in your own voice delete words from audio but you do it through the text editor, right? That's the way that Descript works. So you just delete the text and then you can type in the word that you wish you said, make editorial corrections, and it generates the audio. And then it goes further where it generates it in a way that it's tonally blended to whatever's happening on the left and right side of it. So it's meant to be when you're doing voiceover stuff, anytime you're doing a recording, it's such a pain to make editorial corrections. You have to go back into the recording booth and say it exactly right, and now it's as easy as typing. I don't know that much about the technology. It's this magic that these Lyrebird guys have built. And and I should also say they deserve the credit for being incredibly thoughtful about the ethics of it long before we came along. But we were equally inspired by how responsibly they were thinking about bringing this technology into the world. The demo video,
1: by the way, is awesome. You know, because normally you do it, and I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. And then 10 seconds, I'm looking at my phone. (laughs) yeah it does the editing real time and you see the audio like when they talk it I'm like there's no way it's real do you use the technology and you're like no way this is real
0: there have been moments when I'm demoing it like on a sales call or something like that and I'll do the demo and then I'll play it and I'll go wow <laughs> 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 like it's like they probably think like I'm doing this terrible fake but I'm still so shocked that it works it's incredible I think more people should be more proud of what they're making yeah you know, that's the great thing about being grateful to be here is I get to work with such smart, wonderful, incredible people. And, and I'm really proud of that. It's very cool what you guys are building. I'm rooting for it.
1: All right, that's a wrap. I hope you liked the episode. If you did go check out Andrew's new company, Descript.com. Also show him some love, let him know that people listened to it and enjoyed this episode. Hit him up on Twitter at Andrew Mason. Tell him you really love his accents. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's make some matas together. And before you go, let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing me, podcast at okdork.com. I check it when I am alive. I check it when I'm not meditating. I check it sometimes. Also, remember to go check out Descript.com. Andrew you. Descript.com for all your audio transcription magic needs. Final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com as always for making these podcasts sound so damn perfect. Up in your ear nuggets. Also, thanks to Sean, David, And Mitchell, who's joining the Dork team. And a special shout out to my boy, Olman. What up, Olo, at AppSumo.com this week. Just want to let you know I love you, dog. What's your favorite coffee drink?